welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Bible Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm Pastor Levi Secord, and I'd like to thank you for listening. Christ Bible Church exists to bring all of Christ into all of life, and in doing so, we glorify God. This podcast series is not meant to be a replacement for the local church. It is not meant to replace your regular gathering with Christ's people across Christ's earth. And so we encourage you to use these sermons to bring glory to God, to bring all of Christ into all of life, and to strengthen and encourage one another in his name. With all of that in mind, let us turn our hearts and our minds now to the preaching of God's word, and in it may we see and glorify and emulate our Savior. Last week uh, we considered wisdom for women, and such was a, it was such a smashing success that we're going to spend another week talking about women. Just kidding. <laughs> My wife told me to use that joke, and I said, it's either going to totally bomb. <laughs> but uh, last week we saw that some of the uh, common sin tendencies of women, but we also saw uh, the potential for life and blessing as they walk in God's law, in His wisdom, and in the fear of the Lord. You see, we've seen again and again that women tend to sin in feminine ways, and men tend to sin in masculine ways. This does not mean that every woman is guilty of this sin and every man is guilty of that. But this week, we're going to focus in on wisdom for men. And really, the entire book of Proverbs is written for this purpose. I mean, Solomon is writing to his sons, and so we literally could just put a footnote here, Proverbs 1, 1 through the end of the book. But in another way, this book is indeed written for everyone. And so while Proverbs, or women have chapter 31, uh, the, the rest of the book hits men again and again and again and again. And this is, there's something to that, as men really do respond to tough love, or I should say they respond to respect. Men, especially young boys, need to be challenged. They need to be held accountable. They need to be told that they can actually rise up to meet those standards and to meet that challenge. There is a real reason why Jordan Peterson's straight talk to young men in plain goal setting is appealing. There's a reason why he has skyrocketed to popularity. Because that type of talk has sadly been missing towards our young men for quite some time. For too long, we've talked to our young men no different than we talk to their female peers. But men do need to be challenged. They do need a kick in the butt at times. And often, as you get older, like me, there are times, for example, growing up, I hated my basketball coach because he was so hard on me. As I got older, he's one of the men I most look up to. Now. Why? Because he treated me like a man. He said, you're going to do this. You're going to figure it out. We need to live in a time and a culture that appears dead set on not understanding men, on misunderstanding them, and trying to beat the masculinity out of them. And naturally, you will see there are some young men who conform to this. And they become limp-wristed shells of what they should be. And then they're patted on the back by society saying this is what a good little boy looks like. And naturally, what we're seeing happening now, other men look at this and say this is insane. And they start to rebel in the other direction towards a hyper 
masculinity and overreaction. Things like WWE are the Andrew Tates of the world. But there's a real pull in popularity for this because, again, we've largely ignored how to raise young men. Because manhood is fraught with both great peril and great potential. Manhood can be used in marvelous ways and in terrible ways. Healthy societies have strong men who are self-controlled. Unhealthy societies have weak men who are controlled by others. Or hyper-masculine men who can't control their own lusts and desires and then are also controlled by others. Like I said last week, as we dive into the potential dangers for men, this is not a time for the women in the room to be elbowing the men next to them. This is not a desire to pit men and women against each other. As we dive into this more next week, men and women are are meant to go together, to complement one another, to build together. So the, the women in the room this morning should be looking for opportunities to encourage good conduct in their men and to direct them on that course and to pray for them on that course. So today I want to summarize the potential dangers and blessings of being a man. For what we need today, the call of the moment is we need real men. And we need them desperately. Men of courage who fear the Lord. And if I could could say something, get me in trouble, as usual. This need is desperately felt within the church. All the time. Um, When I entered ministry, I had lots of ideas. Some of them I don't hold anymore. But one of the things that is glaring to me again and again is the lack of men, men in ministry. We got women, men in ministry all over the place. And it shows. One of the other things that strikes me in ministry again and again and again, uh, pastors talk about this, we always have this backload of of godly eligible young women to get married, but we don't have the matching backload of godly young men ready to be married. This is the glaring need of our time, and we dare not ignore it. Put it another way, Christian young men should not have to go to Jordan Peterson and Andrew Tate to find out how to be a man. They really shouldn't. So today I want to summarize the potential dangers and blessings for being a man. And that starts with the fear of the Lord. We're not looking for little boys who are selfish and who are weak. We need men who know their sin and who know their Savior. And we need them to partner with women to rebuild in the ashes of our day. That's what's needed. So we're going to cover three sin tendencies for men and then four opportunities. Three sin tendencies and four opportunities. The chief sin that men struggle with is not going to surprise any of you, and it can be particularly destructive, especially for young men, and that is the sin of lust. God created sex, and he designed men to be physically attracted to women. Controversial, I know, today, but stay with me. When Adam first sees Eve in the garden, he is awestruck, and he is consumed with her beauty. So much so that he breaks out into poetry. The fact that we see this in the Garden of Eden tells us that our sexual intercourse is not inherently sinful. The two were naked and alone, became one flesh, and there was no shame. But in the fall, our desires and actions are corrupted. And men are particularly tempted 
to lust in the forms of many different sexual sins, like idolatry. And the solution to this, or sorry, adultery, the solution to this is not for men to be free of all forms of sexual desire, but it is for them to have rightly ordered and rightly directed desires. When we don't, destruction comes fast and furious. So Solomon's words on this are stark. Consider Proverbs 5, verses 1 through 5. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip with honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. That's just the Hebrew word for grave. Her steps follow the path to the grave. You should note the picture painted here. The forbidden woman, the forbidden desire, it drips with honey. It appears very sweet. Her words are smooth and alluring. She knows what attracts her prey. And she's very good at luring him in. But, Solomon tells us, this is all a trick. What is actually, what is appearing to be sweet is actually bitter. What is appearing to be good actually cuts right through the man and kills him. And leads him to the grave. Her path is the path of death. Lust promises sweetness. Forbidden sexual acts may taste good in the moment, but all they do is bring bitterness and death. You don't have to live long in this world to have seen this play out. As a pastor, I've I've sat in rooms with people who are sitting in this bitterness. The act isn't worth it. I could line them up and they could all tell you the same story. The psychological harm, the relational harm that our current sexual ethics are driving throughout our society is plain for everyone to see. You can go read all the sociological studies. They'll tell you, like, this isn't good for teenagers. This isn't good for kids. It isn't good for young adults. All of this is destroying everything, but we're not going to stop. Why? Because we like our sin. This is a, there's a soul-sucking nature to our ubiquitous porn and sexualized public square of our day. And people are dying from it. How many otherwise successful men have been brought really low because they went after the forbidden woman? Like it's the cliche in every spy movie. You get the pretty woman in there and he'll tell him. He'll tell her everything. But in real life, how many careers have been ruined? Churches, ruined. Because the pastor fell into sexual sin. Institutions, ruined. Families, destroyed. And this is what God through Solomon is warning us about. He explains this problem, I think, in more striking terms in chapter 6, verses 27 through 28, as he speaks to his son about the forbidden woman. He asks these questions. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? We want to think that this is no big deal. We want to think our lust is private. It's not going to do anything. And Solomon says, you're carrying a flame right next to your chest and it's going to set you on fire. You're walking on hot coals. It's going to destroy you. 
But praise be to God that he has offered a, a way for forgiveness. That Christ has taken that punishment for you. If you're sitting here today and you're like, yeah, chapters 5 and 6 of Proverbs, that's me. There is forgiveness. Christ has taken the curse of sin upon himself. He bore the flame. He took the burning for your lust in his body. And so there is a path forward to restoration, to forgiveness. There's a reason why Solomon spends so much of the first nine chapters of Proverbs circling back to the sin again and again and again. Men, read these chapters again and again and again. Put this sin to death. The second sin men must avoid is the sin of anger. This is one Solomon addresses also repeatedly throughout the book. Proverbs 19.19 A man of great wrath will pay the penalty for if you deliver him you will only have to do it again. I love this one. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty for if you deliver him you will have to do it again and again. Sometimes as uh, parents we want to save our children from, from the penalty of their foolish actions. But what you do then is then they're going to do it again and again. You're just going to have to keep delivering him. A man of great wrath he will pay the penalty and it's only then when he pays the penalty he might wake up and realize what he's doing is wrong. Proverbs 14.29 Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Let me rephrase this for you. To be quick to anger, men, is to be an idiot. It's to be a fool. To live on a hair trigger, to be ready to pounce on if anything doesn't go the way you want it to go, is to show your own foolishness. Contrast this with Proverbs 19.11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. So a fool is quick to anger. Someone who's not a fool is slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. You see, what happens is when we get angry, we tend to think or say things like this. Yeah, I wouldn't have gotten angry if you wouldn't have done that. I'm sure you've never done it. I've done it. I wouldn't have acted this foolishly if you wouldn't have done this to me first. It is your glory to be offended and to overlook it. That is the sign of a man. And so anger here and unforgiveness are linked. You will not get through this life without offending others. You will not get through this life without being offended by others. And the truth is, most of us are far more gracious to ourselves when we offend someone than to them when they offend us. But how has God treated you? With patience. Overlooked your offenses. Sent his son to die for your sins. To put it plainly, a house marked with anger, living in such a house is suffocating. Like walking around on eggshells. You never know when the next shoe is going to drop. When the explosion is going to come. And when we do that, while coming to church on Sundays, what we end up doing is making the gospel look like a sham. Say, Levi, is there forgiveness here too? Yes, there is. When you break out in anger, man, how do you put it to death? You confess your sins. And you do so quickly. Kill your anger so it doesn't kill your home. 
Third, a sin men must avoid is the sin of laziness. The sluggard is a constant character throughout the book of Proverbs. And so men are warned again and again not to be lazy. And laziness truly is one of the besetting sins of our day. And it can manifest itself in many ways. There's a reason why, again, Jordan Peterson's book, 12 Rules for Life, here are 12 ways, young men, for you to not be lazy. That's pretty much what it is. There's a reason why women, for example, are attracted to men who have some level of success. It's not always the money. It's about them being a man who's not lazy. So let me give you three ways that laziness are commonly displayed from here, from the book of Proverbs. The first is this, all dreams but no actions. Proverbs 14.23 In all toil there is profit, but mere talk lends only to poverty. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Work brings with it a reward, and talk is cheap. I've met many a man who's got schemes and plans and he's going to do all of these things. He's got all these plans and he never even does any of them. Dreams are fine. Having goals are a good thing, but you actually have to do something. There are a lot of men who can talk a good game, but have no substance behind that game. And so, talk is indeed cheap. So if you want to be good at something, if you want to be good at a sport, you've got to put in the work. We often look at athletes like, man, they're so gifted. No, those people worked really hard. If you want to learn a trade, put in the work. If you want to build your own business, great, have that dream. Get a mentorship, learn the field, and put in the sweat equity, and then start building. This is how the world works. Nobody, nobody succeeds on accident. It doesn't just fall into your lap. It may look that way, but it often comes after years of toil. Second, laziness can come from a place of fear. I've talked about this verse like four weeks in a row now. We fear. We say, what if something bad happens? Proverbs twenty-six thirteen. the sluggard says there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the street. There's always a risk factor with everything. And you can always be afraid of that and use it as an excuse to do nothing. But you will fail if you do nothing. Third, laziness can be motivated just by pure laziness. I think this is probably the saddest verse in, in the book of Proverbs. Chapter 26, verse 15. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. He literally wants to eat some food. He puts his hand in the dish. I can't do it. I can't bring it back up to my mouth. It's really pathetic. People want things, but they don't want the work that comes with it. And laziness has this effect on us that it never just stays localized. It spreads. And it becomes debilitating. Men... The guy who puts his hand in the thing and can't bring it back up is about as unmanly as you can get. And so laziness and seeking goods and rest or entertainment actually doesn't get what it wants. It actually becomes self-destructive. Proverbs thirty fifteen: The leech has two daughters. Give and give, 
Three things are never satisfied, and four never say enough. To put it plainly, there are people in this world who are only takers. They always want to say, give, 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 give to me. And it's never enough. And in fact, our government enables and even subsidizes this today. Just give, 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 give. You should forgive my student loans. Why? They're yours. Demand more and more and more. Forgive this, forgive this, forgive that. No, this isn't actually helping you. Somehow, if you oppose such things, then you're not nice enough or Christ-like enough because these people haven't read, read Proverbs yet. Proverbs 13.4 the, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. There are few things more unmanly and unattractive than being a lazy bum. And laziness is ultimately rooted in selfishness. The whole world should bend to me and give me the things I want, and I'm never going to produce anything for anybody else. These are the three common sins for men that Proverbs addresses again and again. They damage and wreck the image of God found in men. They undermine and destroy families, churches, and society as a whole. And so Christian men, to put it plainly, these three sins are your enemy. You need to kill them. You must put them to death. And you can only do so by grace, through faith. Now we turn our attention to opportunities for men. Wisdom for men. It is true that many in our day are looking for what masculinity is. And it's also true that as they search for this, that social media often doesn't help in that discussion. There is a real rejection going on, especially in, in younger men, of this emasculization of men. And it's born of a right desire. Like they look at what society, especially on the left of our society, wants to shape men into, and they say, no, we're not going to do that. But then there's this overreaction uh, online that says, well, uh, here, here's a better way forward. And it's a more masculine way forward, but it's, it's really just death in a new way. And so I want to offer you four good things, four opportunities that mark wise men from Scripture. And you're going to notice a parallel here between these four and, and the three. The first opportunity for men, for all men, is the opportunity of hard work. Proverbs 12, 24. The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Now think about that equation. Which side of it do you want to be on? The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. The reason sin tempts us to laziness is because we are made to work. When God placed Adam in the garden, he said, I'm making you in my image. And then he said, hey, I'm going to put you here. Now get to work. Keep the garden. Till it. And then he said, you know what? I want you to take this picture of the garden and go forward into the whole world and subdue everything. Right? To be a man is to have that charge upon your life. To go work and subdue the world. This is inherent to being men. Men are made to do this. This is why a lazy man is not really a man. It's unmasculine. This is why women want men who work hard. Like, I, I understand 
uh, the male brain far better than the female brain. And I say that to Emily, and she goes, me too. That's because we're easier. <laughs> but uh, one of my friends got married a couple of years ago, and uh, his fi- before they got married, I asked his uh, fiance, I said, what attracted you to him? I didn't mean that as a slight, but <laughs> what did you find attractive in him? And her answer initially surprised me, um, but now it doesn't anymore. She said something along these lines. He's a hard worker. I could never be with a guy who didn't have a good work ethic. It's like, that's romantic. Put that on a card. Honey, I love you because you're a hard worker. But it's true. Women will not respect a man who's a bum. Being, in other words, being a bum is unmanly and unattractive to women. So there's a huge opportunity for our men here to be hard workers, to work hard in whatever your job is, to work hard in your home, in raising your family, in starting businesses, in your church, in society. It will be Christian men with their wives beside them who rebuild this society and, yes, contrary to what others say, rebuild Christendom. But this requires hard work. And you're not to shrink back from it. A second opportunity for men that will bring a blessing is that of sexual purity. Again, the first nine-ish chapters of Proverbs are largely devoted to this theme. But there's more than just negative instruction, avoid this woman. There's also positive instruction. Listen to Proverbs 5, verses 15 through 21. Solomon says to his son, Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for the stranger with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman, and embrace the bosom of an adulteress. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all of his paths. God wants you, Christian man, to be intoxicated the entirety of your life in the beauty of your wife. To delight in her personally, intimately, for whole or for your whole life. Let me phrase it another way. Little boys jump from girl to girl. It takes a man to love a woman his entire life. There's a great opportunity for Christian men and women to turn the sexual chaos of our day on its head and to show the world we do things differently and it's beautiful and it works. There's an opportunity here for husbands to love their wives fiercely and for wives to respect and honor their husbands in a way that the world says, what is this? There's an opportunity here for Christian marriages not to be battlefields, but to be places of deep-seated joy where the husband and wife are intoxicated with one another for their whole lives. That doesn't mean every day is perfect. It takes work. Solomon says in Proverbs 18.22, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. This is a blessing from God. 
how would our marriages change if instead of going at our marriage like the world does and said, this person is here to make me happy, and if they don't make me happy, then something's wrong, if we approached our spouse as a blessing from God, as favor from the Most High. And so men, the opportunity here is for you to be intoxicated in the beauty of one woman for your whole life. And some people think church is boring. To drink deeply, to be blessed by God. And this is better than the guilt and shame and shallowness and destruction of sexual sin. It is better than carrying a flame next to your chest. Sexual sin poisons and destroys everything it touches. And as Paul says, such sin is unique in that it's not just a sin against someone else, it's a sin against your own body. Sexual fidelity builds society, it builds stability in life, and it brings happiness to both parties. But in our age, I don't speak as a naive person to think that this is all going perfectly out there. It's not. Marriage is built on forgiveness, on grace, and so many other things. But as Paul says to the Corinthians, and I want you to know a, a thing about Corinth. If you were going to compare Corinth to one U.S. city today, it would be Las Vegas. To Corinthianize meant to go do sinful things. It's like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That was their slogan back in the day, to Corinthianize. He says this about the Corinthians who had come into the church out of that culture had sinned in terrible ways. He says, such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If you have sinned in this arena, you can be washed, you can be cleaned, you can be sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit at work in Christ is greater than your sin. Third opportunity is that of self-control. Contrary to anger, self-control. Proverbs 16.32 Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Solomon says elsewhere that physical strength is the glory of young men, and that is true. Young men are, in general, stronger than women. This is a feature, not a flaw. And some of the renewed interest in masculinity today that we see encourages men to be physically strong, to work out, to lift weights. This is not bad. This is not inherently wrong. But there is more to being a man than to be having lots of muscles. Right? Little boys can toss around weights too. I've seen them do it. But in man's strength, he reflects the glory of God, the God who is all-powerful. The God whose strength is like the mighty mountains. These are good things, but we must not idolize them. And here in this verse, Solomon reminds us that inward strength is greater than physical strength. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, better than the strong. He who rules his spirit is better than he who takes over a city. My coach used to say this to us all the time. You need to be mentally tough. You can be physically tough, but if you're not mentally tough, your opponent's going to get in your head, and all that strength goes to nothing. Strong men who are ruled by anger are easy to manipulate. 
Strong men who cannot rule their spirit in the same way they're ruling their body are actually weak men. Physical and eternal, internal strength are meant to go together. Yes, go lift your weights. This is good. Also, control yourself. Don't let your anger rule over you. Practice self-control. This is how we put our anger to death. Fourth, just like for the wise woman, the heart of the wise man fears the Lord. He is the authority. Proverbs 1 verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Being a man is certainly not less than this. Trusting God. Sometimes men don't like to admit that they're wrong. True manliness and wisdom and knowledge starts with not leaning on your own understanding, but trusting in the Lord. The greatest opportunity for both men and women is the same. Don't follow your heart. Don't build your life upon yourself. Fear the Lord and trust Him. And so what are we to take from this, men? Well, I think wisdom for men begins in the same place that it begins for everyone else. Know God, know his word, know his commands. You want to be a man? Great. We need more of you. Speaking to men here. I have to be clear about that in today's world. Know that God has not left you in the dark as to what you should do. You don't need 12 rules for life. Like You can glean some good things from it. But like God has told you in his word, this is what I expect from you men. It's not a mystery. You don't have to have a PhD in Greek or Hebrew. God has said it plainly. You don't need God to come down out of heaven and to write it on the wall. This is what I want from you. He has written it in a book. So young men and old men, you have strength. Great. Take your strength, harness it, and direct it to protect others and to build for Christ's kingdom. You have a desire to be married, or you are married? Great! Harness your attraction and rightly order it and rightly direct it to your wife and to enjoy her for all time. You want to do great deeds? Great! Fantastic! This is part of what it means to be a man. Then put to death laziness and get to work. Work harder than you've ever worked before. The masculine call is the call to come and to die, and to lay down your life, and to pour it out for other people. We should note, Christ was not just born a human, but he was born a man. And in him, you see a perfect man, living a perfect life. We had a man who stood up for others. He used his strength to protect the weak. You have a man who looked at all of the political forces of his day. He looked him in the face and he said, no, I'm not doing that. And then he kept saying things that made him angry all the time. He just kept poking. Like we have this children's Sunday school version of Jesus, which gets some things right. But like, there's a reason they killed him. They killed him because he said things that weren't, he wasn't allowed to say. And that should hit home today. You see a man that controlled his anger. 
who ruled over his anger and even expressed it righteously at times. Like Jesus was angry when he flipped over the tables. He didn't go around going, oh, no big deal. I'm just going to turn over this table. I'm going to chase people around with a whip. La, 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 la. He stood in front of the tomb of Lazarus and it says he was angry at death. He was angry that his friend died. You have the other side of Jesus. A man's man who was tender and kind to his own people. He loved them and cared for them. He invited the little children to come to him. He weeped with his friends. And ultimately, the ultimate act of manliness is he went to the cross to give up his life for others. The call to being a man is to take all of that promise and peril and direct it for the good of others in the love of God. This is manliness. Be like Christ. And all of this begins by repenting of your sins, believing in him, and then following his teacher or his teachings. Follow Christ, die to the self, work hard to bring his kingdom into this world, not your own. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for the men in this room, the old men, the young men, and every other man in between. And Lord, I pray that you might equip them, encourage them, embolden them to be godly men. And that through this, laying down their lives for others, that their children, their grandchildren, their communities, their church, their nation, their state, their businesses would be blessed. That the men of Christ Bible Church, as they go into the world, would be seen as men made in the image of God and renewed in the image of their Creator. And that through these humble acts of faith, Lord, may you build your kingdom and may it come to this earth in power for your glory and not for ours. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Christ Bible Church. Remember, this world is dripping with meaning because Christ created it, he sustains it, and he is reconciling it all to himself. Now go and live out that glorious truth.